Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to Phoenix Business Radio X. I'm your host, Karen Nowicki, and I'd like to welcome you to AZ TechCast, sponsored by Arizona Technology Council. The AZ TechCast is dedicated to covering innovation and technology in Arizona and beyond. Broadcasted monthly, AZ TechCast invites leading experts to have real conversations about what's happening in the tech sector across the state of Arizona. From regional news to innovative startups, companies, and emerging technologies, AZ TechCast covers the critical issues and economic trends propelling the state's growing tech ecosystem. I'd like to thank Arizona Commerce Authority, AZ TechCast 2020 Innovation Sponsor. The Arizona Commerce Authority is the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona's economy. The Commerce Authority uses a three-pronged approach to advance the economy, recruit, grow, and create. And I'd also like to thank our 2020 Tech Advocate Sponsor, JDH Insights. A leader in coaching and executive development, JDH Insights is committed to helping organizations cultivate and leverage their most important and complex asset, their humans. Visit jdhinsights.com to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. And with that, let's give a warm welcome to, to today's distinguished panel. We have Rebecca Clyde, co-founder and CEO of Botco.ai and principal of Scottsdale Digital Agency Ideas Collide. Rebecca, I hope I pronounced the company correctly, did I? You did. Thank okay, you. I should have asked You're that. Right, happy to have you. I should have asked that ahead of time. And Elliot Manson, director of analytics and marketing for KEO Marketing. Welcome, Elliot. Thank you. Thrilled to have you. And Molly, I'm going to take a stab. I know Steve mentioned your last name a couple of times. Castellazzo? Yes. Okay, good. Molly's with us. Excellent. She is the CEO and Chief Content Strategist at, I have to say it again now, right? Castellazzo Content. Welcome, Molly. Thank you. And with us as well, co-hosting with me today is Steve Zalstra, President and CEO of Arizona Technology Council. Hello, sir. Hello. It's great to be here. You and I are both excited about this segment today. It's, as you pointed out before we uh, came on live, that this is a little different for us, isn't it? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, we have three people that are experts in their field on, uh, you know, very specific aspects of, of marketing. And uh, uh, while I've done business development marketing in the past, these guys are true experts. I wholeheartedly agree. And Business Radio X, what we do is kind of marketing, kind of PR, also business development. So I'm looking forward to learning as well because my niche is really people, uh, but not necessarily the marketing aspect. And I think we've got a lot of ground to cover as it relates to uh, digital marketing and, and the way things are uh, these days, not only with COVID, but of course, just the way in which we're becoming more and more you know, face forward as it relates to digital marketing. So let's Great. tee this up. As we spend more time on our mobile phones, tablets, and laptops, a transformation of marketing continues at a breakneck pace right before our very eyes. Modern day marketing departments not only need to keep up with industry trends, but also must combine a creative side of the discipline with a technical side of data, digital engineering, and analytics. During today's TechCast, these distinguished experts will share their expertise to help marketers make informed decisions against the backdrop of the exciting and disruptive trends in marketing technology and discuss how chief marketing officers and chief information officers must work in unison to be effective in the digital age. 
as I mentioned a moment ago, we've got a lot of ground to cover, so let's get started. I would love for each of you, please, to just start off by, again, sharing your name, uh, the company that re you represent, the title that you hold, and really just a, you know, a brief description about uh, what it is that you do and how you serve your clients. Elliot, would you be okay starting for us first? Yeah, certainly. So Elliot Manson, Director of Analytics and Advertising at KEO, uh, KEO Marketing. I've been in marketing for 10 years now, so I got lucky and started in marketing, you know, right when Google Ads first started. So I was kind of on the forefront of the digital side of the business, and I have almost no knowledge of pre-digital advertising. Um, so this is all I know at this point. Um, so it's hard for me to, to, to be able to put in perspective of what it used to be like versus what it is now, because um, that's all I know. Um, but I focus heavily on paid media and the analytics side of the business. Um, and then, you know, in my free time, I focus a lot on, uh, like empathy and empathy training. So I try to bring a lot of empathy into the way that I think about marketing, um, because I think it's a huge component of marketing, um, especially the future of marketing. Um, so there's a lot of ties of just how the human thinks, um, that play into marketing role today. Could you expand on that empathy? That's a to me, I mean, I know the word, right? I use it frequently, but as it relates to marketing, can you position that force a little bit deeper than what you just shared? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, if you want to be in the top 95 percentile of, of a marketer, you just have to be able to think how your customer thinks. As long as you can think like they think and put yourself in their shoes and understand their problems without ever actually being involved with their problems, you've already solved most of your marketing challenges so you're just you're really taking a step in front of the game if you can just be somebody who who is empathetic and can think like your customers before they even know what you're thinking about thank you yeah. molly how about you please introduce yourself tell us about your company and the clients that you serve sure yeah and and karen you you did a great job pronouncing the name it's not easy um i i myself had to learn and especially how to how to write the the name in cursive when uh, i first took it on anyway i'm um the founder ceo chief content strategist at castlazo content we are a um a demand generation and sales acceleration firm so we help our clients primarily technology companies tell their stories and, and engage their buyers from the very beginning of what we think of as the marketing funnel all the way through the sales pipeline, even past the point where they become customers to really evangelize them. And I love what you said, Karen, about you know people and Elliot, what you talked about, about empathy, because our philosophy at Castle Content is that you know as, as marketers, we're we're talking to people, right? And and buyers, even in the technology space, even you know, buyers for big companies, they're people. And so the best way to be an effective marketer is to be human and to remember that we're talking to people, we are engaging people, and we do that in all the ways that we would do it. In a face-to-face -face conversation, we, we have to leverage technology in order to do that online and at scale. But ultimately, what it really comes down to is engaging with other human beings. Mm, so well put. It's not unlike what I said before we came online. I always tell everybody, it's like we're having a conversation over coffee or a shared meal. 
We want people to really just settle into these conversations because it's when we get to know each other deeply to the degree we can in an hour, <laughs> some of that deeper wisdom and those thought-provoking questions and sometimes even the collaborative opportunities are, are rich for the picking for us. Thank you so much, Molly and Elliot. Rebecca, how about introducing yourself as well? Sure, it's uh, great to be here with everybody today. Thank you, Karen, for organizing this. My name is Rebecca Clyde and I'm the co-founder and CEO of Botco AI. And we are helping businesses double their conversion rates using intelligent chat. And so just like we were talking about conversation, we are literally in the conversation business at Botco AI. We facilitate conversations between healthcare companies and consumers of healthcare primarily in helping them answer all the questions that they might have about a service or about a uh, you know, location of a service provider. And then not only do we help them answer the questions and drive them to the right through the right workflows, but we also provide insights to the providers about you know, exactly what their customers are asking for so that they can make better decisions and deliver a better consumer journey. Stephen, you're right. We have the right folks here today, don't we? <laughs> for sure. Let's talk a little bit, um, and we might have to leave Elliot out of this conversation. No, just kidding. <laughs> How has the explosion of digital technology changed traditional marketing? And I'm joking about that, of course, because I'm sure you're aware as you've worked with clients, they may come and say, hey, this is what we've always done. And you're like, okay, well, let me help you sway in this direction. So the question again for each of you, and I'd love for us to just kind of you know, uh, just piggyback off of each other. How has the explosion of digital technology challenged traditional marketing? Who would like to share first? I think the biggest challenge that we have is just between the five of us um, and our audience, of course, I think the challenge is the um, this potential problem of the shiny new object, right? Where I, I think oftentimes there's, you know, a new technology tool that seems really exciting and enticing and promising. And I think oftentimes marketers kind of forget that it's really about the first, the fundamentals and setting a really strong foundation. And that's always been the case, whether the technology that we're talking about, Elliot mentioned Google ads way back in the day, or whether it's something you know more modern like an AI chatbot. Really what we have to do first is make sure that we've got a foundation of understanding who, who our audience is and the messages that we need to share with them that are really going to be engaging and the challenges that they're having because that's our job to solve the challenges that our audience is having and help educate them in that process. And then, only then, think about how can we leverage technology tools of which there are new ones every day, how can we leverage technology tools in order to do that fundamental job better? And I kind of look at it from, you know, a different point of view in the sense that um, I feel like up until now and almost historically in the marketing profession, I've been a marketer my entire career for over 20 years, is we, we tend to focus on what does the brand or what does the business want to message to the consumer? And it's usually that idea of like, we need to tell you, Mr. Consumer or Mrs. Consumer, A, B, or C. And I think what's happening now is the opposite direction, right? Um, and the reason my, my company even exists because we're working on the other side of that equation. 
which is understanding what is the consumer telling us that we need to understand as businesses, as brands, um, so that we can do a better job servicing their needs. So I feel like that kind of patriarchal order of, you know, the big corporate giant dictating to consumers what they need to know is shifting. And now we're starting to, you know, to use Elliot's terms, empathize more and say, hey, you know what, maybe we should actually listen to our customers and see what they are asking for and, and respond to them instead of the other way around. Um, and so I'm, I'm really seeing a, a huge shift in, in understanding, and it requires a different mindset to be able to work in marketing uh, with the, the consumer point of view, really driving the conversation instead of the brand point of view. Rebecca, do you like uh, on that sense, do you always or, or kind of approach it in the sense of do market research or, you know, use whatever social media listening tools are out there to better understand what consumers want? Or do you look at it more of like, okay, let's develop five brand messages and see which one gets the most engagement. And then we kind of know what our consumer wants. No, it's actually the opposite. It's let's actually let the consumer ask for what they want. So if you think about digital marketing and how it emerged, right? We, we told people, if you, if you just go back to pre-digital pre age, before websites were born, you know, how did you do business with a company? You would actually physically go and talk to people. Um, then we, we, had a, we used phones to do that. And then we migrated to websites where we said, you know what, we want this to be self-serve. Just go to the website, point and click, research what you need, read whatever you need to make a decision and then buy our product. So we put the onus on the consumer to do their own research and figure things out. But during that whole process, we forgot to actually ask them what they wanted <laughs> and to let them be part of that journey. And so what I'm seeing is that when we, when we introduce chat into a customer experience or any kind of forum where the, the consumer gets to ask a question or gets to say exactly what it is that they're looking for, they love that. They want to be heard so badly because they feel like they've been you know, silenced all of these years that they would rather just go to a website and say, hey, what, what are the specs or what is the price or what are the terms for this type of thing? And just to get the answer that they, they want. And, and when I say listening, I'm saying as a brand, being able to extract all those questions, extract all of those insights from social listening tools, from chat, from all of these other places where customers talk to us and really gaining an understanding of what that consumer point of view is and then delivering a response. Um, instead of always having it be so driven from the top down. And hasn't that also led to entirely new disciplines? Like, uh, you know, when I was coming up, uh, you never heard about uh, someone working in customer success, right? And that's such a critical aspect now and an important discipline. So it's, it's transformed um, multiple activities and disciplines, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, the consumer, we talk a lot in healthcare about the consumer centric journey and, you know, inverting health, the healthcare experience from being like, okay, the hospital, the doctor tells you what you need to do and you just do that, right? That was kind of the old way of doing things. You could replicate that same philosophy across pretty much any industry. So now flipping that and saying, no, the consumer should be dictating how they want to consume the services and the products. And we need to wrap ourselves around what their needs are. And so it's kind of shifting the power dynamic, but in a way, like what you're saying, these customer success roles that are coming up are, are empowering to both sides because the brands can do better and they can sell more if that's their approach versus a dictatorial approach. 
I think is is really interesting is, you know, now we have these technology tools to understand the questions and and I'm thinking about it more from a B2B perspective. So it's it's slightly different than Rebecca, what you were talking about, you know, from a more like a healthcare consumer perspective. But but the concept is is the same that now we have the tools that we can um, assess where a business buyer is at in their journey and what kinds of questions based on where they're based on who they are and where they're at in their journey, what kinds of questions are they asking? And we can serve up content that addresses those questions. So whereas it used to be you would go to a website and explore kind of have to navigate yourself and, you know, not really be sure um, how to find what you were looking for. And then you found something that kind of answered your question, but not really. Now with marketing automation tools, we can, we can actually understand a where a buyer is, is at and then serve up content that very specifically answers their question. And then based on that, you know, continue to, deliver content that answers the questions they're asking at the stage that they are at. And, and that's, you know, we, we've, we've talked a lot about the fact that, you know, research shows that business buyers go 60% of the way through the buyer's journey before they actually have a conversation with a salesperson. So for that, you know, majority of the buyer's journey, it's the content that is the salesperson. It's what they can find online. And the better we can mimic a conversation in that experience by being responsive to what they're looking for, the more successful we're going to be as, as marketers. And what I've found since COVID, you know, technology companies, our clients, used to do a very significant portion of their marketing activities and sales act, sales you know prospecting activities through events. And so now that we're not having these huge events, that has taken away these you know op- significant opportunities to have actual real life conversations with that, with actual real life people. And so now content has become even more important in the technology tools that enable us to deliver it in a way that again sort of mimics more like a conversational type type um, experience. I want to bring some of your quotes there, Molly. Attribute <laughs> them to you. <laughs> Good thing we're recording, ladies and gentlemen. We are recording. Woohoo! <laughs> I love it. Uh, so let's talk a little bit further. Ellie, did you have something to add? I'm sorry. No, please go. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about how. Uh, technology has influenced marketing and what that means for marketers, right? So the example that you can survey, uh, that you have to mimic that customer experience, you have to meet them where they're at in the kind of the buying process or the, you know, the seeking out process. What other ways are we finding that technology is, is benefiting uh, and, and helping us when it comes to marketing? Yeah. I mean, so, so I think, I think technology is eliminating 90% of marketing jobs because technology, so most of marketing outside of, outside of, you know, what Molly's talking about and what Rebecca's talking about, which are very conversational. 
So, so marketing is going to be, is in two worlds going forward in the next five or 10 years. It's those who can have amazing conversations with consumers and those who know data. If you are not good at either one of those, you do not have a job in marketing anymore because most of marketing is now automated. Google, so because like Google ads, Facebook ads, all these app platforms, they're built so a business owner who owns a donut shop can go on and turn Facebook ads and it'd be successful. It's not built so for somebody like me who can go on and you know do all these different things that the donut shop owner can do or can't do um, because their ultimate business is to automate advertising. And so anybody, so any, all the, the actual ad management, I think all that will be automated pretty soon. Most of email management is automated. A lot of CRMs are fully automating everything now. So it's, it's marketing is just separating what people can do and can't do within the marketing world. And I think people need to start um, choosing their path of, of kind of how they want to continue their marketing career or, or where they want to go with um, the, this transition that technology is shifting the, the marketing landscape. I think from my point of view, one of the things that I'm seeing is that, um, yeah, you know, there's tons of software products out there. Mine is one of the many in, in marketing technology. I think there's like a thousand or something. <laughs> technology products in marketing. Um, but the secret sauce is really around how do you connect all that data in a way that is meaningful to the business? And so that is the biggest challenge, I think, from a marketer's point of view. And that the really successful, the people who are looking ahead at their careers and how am I going to make my, my, my impact, I guess, as a, as a professional, I think it's those people who can successfully connect the dots, you know, create a, a, a stack that it, where these systems are, are, are talking to each other nicely, are uh, benefiting from each other, and can uh, tell, create a picture that allows the business to make better decisions, to optimize their spending from an ROI perspective and to ultimately, you know, again, not forgetting the people, the humans at the end of this, ultimately develop, delivering a better donut, <laughs> if that's what we're saying, or a better healthcare experience or a better, you know, in the case of technology companies, software product to their users, right? Because that's ultimately the goal of all businesses. And so understanding how all of those interconnected pieces work together and um, making sure that we're you know, personalizing those journeys and we're extracting the data in a way that we can now um, create meaningful insights and make better decisions. That will be key um, as far as like future skill sets. So. You know, there's a lot of talk um, about artificial intelligence and its impact on, uh, on marketing. Mark Cuban was in town a year ago or so, and he basically said that every business owner is going to have to understand how to utilize artificial intelligence uh, in their, their enterprise. And the definition of artificial intelligence is really just using com computer systems to do tasks that normally require uh, human intelligence, right? That's really what, what AI is uh, replacing. So in, in many ways, to your point, Elliot, um, it's replacing all those grueling tasks that used to be a part of the marketing world and, uh, and automating them. And obviously that eliminates some of the jobs in this discipline. How do you all feel about that? So this is something that one of my customers just relayed to me about two weeks ago. And so this is a, a large urgent care brand. They have over 200 locations of urgent care centers in the United States. 
And their franchise sales team started using our product because they were getting so inundated with questions. They needed a, a chat solution that would automatically answer the questions. And then their sales organization could focus on selling, not just handling, you know, run-of-the-mill questions. So that was an example, Steve, where they took the the you know 80% boring part of the job, gave it to my software, and then the humans got to do the high quality value work. And within a month of using our product, this uh, person that started using my our, our software, he actually got promoted because his sales went way up and he was able to now be way more productive because our software was doing the, the like low level work. And in the past, what had happened is he was getting sucked into all of those like little questions and not able to do the meaningful work. And so that was like the first use case that wasn't, it wasn't like a typical ROI kind of a result, but it was an amazing result from that person's career point of view, because he saw our product as really enabling him to succeed in his career. Very cool. Molly, you were going to add something. Yeah, yeah, very much along along the same lines, um, Rebecca, that we actually just did a an ebook for a client that has a um, an AI powered uh, contracting solution for enterprises. So in in the course of putting this ebook together, um, I found some research by Tom Davenport, who wrote Competing on Analytics and many other books since then. He's kind of the analytics guru, um, and he actually he he did a survey of companies that have implemented. Uh, machine learning and AI, AI or AI-like um, tools in their organizations, and they the researchers found that in 87% of the cases, um, the introduction of AI tools did not lead to job losses for the reasons that you know Rebecca's anecdote just kind of alluded to that that in, in the ideal world, and, and we're seeing that this plays out in, in the real world as well, the introduction of AI enables humans to do more interesting, more value-added work um, and let the, the technology, you know, do what technology is good at doing. And so humans can, you know, kind of work at that higher level. Now, certainly, you know, the very process-oriented tasks that can be easily automated. Like if that's all your job is, you're going to have to figure out how to get to that higher level and do that higher order kind of critical thinking mark that AI can't do. But I think it, we should see it as a tremendous opportunity um, for marketers and others. And, and I think this is the case, you know, in many industries and, and many um, types of jobs, not just marketing as well. Do, do you see folks who used to be in sort of the data entry um, area in marketing moving to data analytics? Is that sort of the path, Elliot? Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard for marketing to survive these days without a director of IT or somebody who can write SQL or run a Snowflake database. It is very, very challenging it will be even more challenging in the future to run without an IT team to be a, an incredibly effective marketing organization. I think they were saying that now marketing owns a bigger percentage of the IT budget. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. 
<laughs> so, but now I've heard of this new role, uh, the CMTO, Chief Marketing Technology Officer. Mm. So that's a great uh, comment to kind of lead into the next question that I have in mind. And that is, so for what is the biggest challenge? And you've, you've given us some examples uh, for marketers of the future. Like folks have got to stay on top of their game. What, what, what would maybe be your advice or what do you think are some of the challenges that marketers uh, are up against as they look towards the future? I think the biggest challenge is going to be bridging. It's it's going to be bridging what kind of those two areas that Elliot talked about, right? Where there are the folks who can, um, you know, create databases and run queries and do the the technical work of analytics, and then folks who can still do like you know the creative type stuff. But then we have to have people, and, and I think the bulk of the marketing organization will be people who can bridge the two, right? Who can take the derived insights from the data and then take those insights and, and execute on them and actually leverage them to do meaningful marketing work. I see us really in marketing as becoming more scientists in a lot of ways, running a lot of experiments, um, really looking at data a lot more closely. Uh, we used to A-B test, but I think that's not sufficient anymore. I mean, there's more variables that have to be considered in, in the experimentation process. And I think it's also going to be challenging. Now, Molly alluded to this is just the, the shiny new object, right? It's easy to chase after those. And understanding, like, what are the things that are going to meaningfully contribute to the growth of the business? Um, are, are going to be challenges. And all this while trying to maintain some level of ethics and, <laughs> and you know, protection of the consumer right. I mean, all of that needs to be considered too. So it's, it's an increase, increasingly sticky situation, I think. Mm-hmm. So um, Elliot sort of inferred this in his uh, example of uh, Google advertising. Um, but over the last 10 years, there's really been a transformation in how we, how we market the, the technology tools we use, and especially social media. So, you know, we're all on Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter and so on. How have these um, mediums transformed uh, the very nature of marketing? Yeah. Um, I can speak to that because that's Go pretty ahead, much Elliot. my entire, yeah, it's pretty much my entire job. Massively um, is the answer, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, it's a great point. And it's understanding that your audience, it, it's under, these platforms give you an opportunity to better understand your audience and how they interact in different places. I think, I, and I come from the B2B world, so my judgment is a little bit clouded because I'm not spending time trying to sell socks to somebody. Um, so when it comes to you know the B2B side, it's it's understanding where your cost, how you can best influence your potential customers and on what platform. But then it's also understanding that yes, your target audience might be a director of IT but they might have a TikTok account. Like that is a real thing. And it's not like, it's not eliminating platforms because you think that 
your audience doesn't live there. It's just understanding how to better leverage the audiences. So maybe you want to drive cold audience from LinkedIn because you can target people who are directors of IT, but then maybe you just do a bunch of retargeting on TikTok and Snapchat because they've already been to your website, but it doesn't mean that they don't use Snapchat and they they don't use uh, TikTok. It just means that you probably can't find them on those platforms um, due to their marketing limitations. Um, so just give all these platforms give you such an opportunity to one, reach your perfect customer um, from a cold audience standpoint, but then stay in front of them in so many more places. You can't, you, you don't just have to stay in front of them on Facebook anymore. You can stay in front of them literally everywhere they go. And yet it's a different conversation on the platforms, is it? isn't it? So I'm on Facebook, have been for years, just more social. And, and that keeps growing because of the role that I play here at Business Radio X. And I haven't really taught myself yet or spent as much time on LinkedIn to know how to show up in that space. I need to spend more time figuring out and need to have somebody, you know, with your ex- expertise to help me do that. But what would you say to that as well? Any, any of you, there really is a different persona or a different vibe for each of those the social media, media platforms as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, right now with, you know, virtual being everything, right, and, and businesses being, you know, cut off from events or live interaction, you know, at least from our standpoint, I'm sure you guys are seeing the same thing in B2B just in terms of me selling my product. We're getting a lot more activity on LinkedIn than ever before. And that has been turning into one of our most uh, productive channels. Whereas in the past, you know, maybe LinkedIn was just kind of so-so. So I think those um, changes are happening right now for sure. And, you know, I'm really excited. I know most people are a little bit concerned about all of this um, talk about breaking up Facebook or, or um, Google. But from a marketing standpoint, I'm actually quite excited about it because I feel like in a lot of ways we've been held hostage by their price control, their control on prices and what you can do. And I'm really excited to see a new generation of creative uh, ideas coming out, you know, once we can kind of loosen the monopoly that these firms have had on, on marketing for so many years. I mean, I, you know, I'm so tired of Facebook advertising. <laughs> really, can we, we can do better things, but there has to be an idea out there and I'm really excited to see it. <laughs> well, that's what I don't think a lot of people understand is, uh, you know, I think people in marketing world understand it, but the general consumer doesn't. And I, and I don't know what the exact number is. So I, I'm, th- I'm throwing one out there, but I know it's high, but it's something like 95 or 98% of like Google's revenue is advertising revenue. They make almost all their money off ads. And so Facebook is probably fairly similar. So it's just understanding that these are just advertising platforms at the end of the day that drive all of their business. Yeah. And honestly, you know, and we all know that those have become largely pay for play platforms. So what used to be, you know, you could produce great content and it would travel. Well, now if you don't boost it with a, with a check, you know, with a credit card, it doesn't go anywhere. It could be a great content, uh, but you know, the algorithms are set up to advance the content that gets paid for. And I, what has really, in my view, has really uh, hurt those the experience, right? Because it's not authentic like it used. I think at the beginning, those experiences were very authentic and that's how they got so much traction. And then they were like essentially just over, um, I don't know, just the greed got to, <laughs> got beyond, 
<laughs> so I, I'm excited to see what happens because I do. I know there's so much great content out there that's being created that just doesn't get seen uh, because, you know, maybe the person that created it doesn't have a ton of money to put behind it. So I, I, think I, have, I have a follow-up question, but I want to make sure Molly had an opportunity to weigh in on the social media issue. Yeah, yeah. And, and it actually ties into, Rebecca, what you were just talking about. I, I think that the biggest challenge that marketers face, given the you know tremendous growth in the number of social platforms and the use of social platforms, is cutting through the noise. And that's partly the noise and the volume, sort of the amount of noise and how loud the noise is, is really growing exactly because of the reason that Rebecca, you know, alluded to that because companies, all they need is a, a check in order to, you know, boost the volume of, of the messages that they're putting out. It doesn't have to be, it's, it's not organically the most engaging content necessarily that's getting the most player that has the loudest voice. That means that cutting through the noise is even more difficult. You know, now it's not just about having really engaging content. It's also not even just about having a big checkbook. And so I, I see that as our biggest challenge is figuring out how do we really reach the people that we want to have conversations with and do that in a way that is, is scalable, but also meaningful and human. And I, I think it's, it's interesting that as the ubiquity of these digital platforms has increased and activity on these platforms has increased, we're actually seeing a return to some, you know, old school marketing techniques like direct mail. Yeah. So for our clients, you know, again, it's B2B space, so they have, you know, their their total addressable markets is often not, you know, millions of people. Um, so direct mail is just one example of kind of an old school technique. Actually can work really well. It's been made more difficult now that people aren't in the office, they're at home. So figuring out how to mail stuff to people is more difficult now with COVID. Um, but, but I think that, you know, really taking a step back and thinking about how can we get to the people that we're trying to reach and get to them in a way that we can have what, what approximates, you know, a real life conversation with them at scale. So given the election, I've been getting way too much direct mail. <laughs> so how can we all? Oh, sure. Yeah. My follow-up question is, um, Another means to communicate with customers is email. And, you know, people use email signatures. There's, I know a company that the Crown Brothers who started Insight have invested in that uh, automates uh, the changing of your email signature. And, um, but I've seen this trend recently where people are going uh, from email to, to text. Uh, and, and promoting products and services and opportunities in text. And one of the interesting things about text versus email is people respond an order of magnitude faster to a text than they do an email. You know, we get bazillions of emails and they sit in our inbox, but people instantly respond to text. How is that changing 
marketing. And, you know, is what I said true? Is this, is there a trend moving from email to text? Yeah, there definitely. I mean, I think mm -hmm. <laughs> I'll just make one quick, one quick comment um, that, you know, I, I think that this is an example of kind of the challenge that I just described where, you know, for a while, the main means of communicating with people was through direct mail, right? And then email as a technology um, came onto the scene. And so then we saw, and, and in the consumer space, it's different, but um, in the business space, then we saw a real drop off in direct mail for business, huge increase in email. Now people ignore um, emails that aren't, you know, from people they know. And so, you know, and then we went to social platforms and, and now we're going to text. And so I think that, um, you know, I, it's, it's, I'm not really commenting on that trend per se, other than to say that it's always important, important for us to think about, again, you know, how do we reach people in a way that is authentic and doesn't feel intrusive to them in a way that they not only welcome, but actually ask for. Yeah, I mean, the messaging trend is one that I've been watching closely because we service that industry too from a, from a chat perspective. And, you know, it's an interesting paradigm because there's two types of messaging. In the United States, you know, if you're just looking at the U.S. market, we're very SMS focused. We haven't really embraced um, WhatsApp or WeChat the way that it's done in other countries. Um, so we're a little bit different. We're, we're kind of, and the reason why that is just for background is because our, our carriers here offer unlimited data pretty much, which is unusual in, others, in other places. So that's kind of a big distinction. But if, if you kind of look at the global uh, consumption of messaging, I mean, we have surpassed, you know, there are more messaging accounts than there are humans on the planet. <laughs> and so what that means is that messaging is ubiquitous at this point. It's also really critical as a mechanism for reaching people that don't have desktops. You know, with the email is kind of an older technology. And so there's two things. It's that there's a demographic thing with email, which you're always going to hit a little bit of an older audience. And there's also a technology and income and geographic uh, situation. So if your company does a lot of business in India or in China or in Africa, then having an answer to the messaging solution is really key. And then, you know, right now, what we're used to in the United States is a very rudimentary text, like text stop to cancel, text yes to reply, right? Mm -hmm. Super rigid and low level. Um, and what we're, we're evolving into is the ability to actually have conversations over chat and over messaging. And so we already have at Baco AI customers that are successfully using messaging channels to have entire conversations with customers that never involve a human on the other side, but it's it's a it's a software pro, you know it's our software that's essentially answering the questions and handling that entire engagement. So you know WhatsApp right now is exploding in terms of the number of business accounts that are opening up and brands that are now embracing WhatsApp and having the ability to uh, provide a messaging experience. And this is where voice comes in down the road. I'm really excited about it because. You know, again, outside of the U.S., most people you walk, you see them walking around talking into their phones to send messages to each other. We don't do that as much here in the states, but in uh, other countries, it's it's the main way that people message each other. It's voice, 
So that means as marketers, we need to understand that channel, understand how to work with voice, and how to have a brand presence that's that's audio driven. And it's just super exciting in my in my point of view. So I said enough. <laughs> But we're also, but Rebecca, you're also talking like we're talking. You're talking on two different spectrums of of messaging, where where I think kind of what you're hitting on, and where I think messaging, and I 100% agree, where I think messaging is so important, is when a consumer has opted into messaging and said, "I want you to message me because it's easier." Then you have the other messaging where you're getting cold text messages from somebody who bought your number from somebody. And for me personally, I still feel a little bit like my text message is my privacy. I'm okay giving up my email inbox to get blown up by people. Like mm-hmm. I'm just over that. It is what it is. It's the world we live in. But I'm still, I still like my 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 cell phone privacy. I, I'm probably in five years that'll be over, and I'll be totally okay with it. But um, but yeah, right now if if I get a cold spam message to my text my texting or my number. I'll likely never respond to that one. Um, I'll probably I'll respond. Or respond to an email. You will? <laughs> yeah, I'll say stop. <laughs> I, I just block them. I just block them. Yeah. And I, and I met- uh, did you sign up to get your ballot tracked on messaging so you could get little updates on your ballot? Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, yeah that was really cool. So when you when you send in your ballot, you could text a number and it sends you like a little update on mm. is. Oh. And so that's kind of the beginning. So that's an opt-in of course, mm-hmm. scenario, but... You know, I'm seeing in, especially outside of the United States, um, you know, hospitality brands are now completely on WhatsApp so that if you, as you're arriving, oh, I need a card or can I get a reservation to a restaurant or can you send tickets for me to this show? It's all being done over WhatsApp and it's all being done through it's automated. And this is, yeah. The only time. Karen, I, I wanted to follow up on the generational issue. So. Uh, just an anecdote. So the entire time my kids were in high school and college, if I emailed them, they would never respond, <laughs> right? And they're on TikTok and, you know, Snapchat and all those kinds of things. But what I noticed is when, um, not my stepson, but my my two uh, kids started working, they were on email. Mm-hmm. They you suddenly could communicate with them on email because it's it's required in their job. So you know I I don't know how that influences things, but uh, um, anyway, Karen, you were going to ask another question. Well, now you've got me going in a different direction as well. But, uh, I, I was thinking earlier about um, so we had a show earlier today with the uh, Marines. Uh, Marine Corps Scholarship Foundation, right? So it's folks my age in their 50s uh, who are helping high school students acquire scholarships if they have a you know parent or grandparent who served in the Marines. And they're struggling to find enough kids here in Arizona. And so I'm helping them with a podcast and that sort of thing. And they're, and they're doing a lot of the right things. But one of the conversations came up when we were talking today on air about the marketing aspect of this and staying in front of people and and this conversation around TikTok, it just dawned on me, you know, two hours ago, where are the kids? Where are the high school students, right? It's one thing to get more donors and people to uh, in businesses to participate in providing the funds for these scholarships, but the kids that you really want to reach, or excuse me, the people you really want to reach are these kids. And where are they? Snapchat, TikTok, and I don't know if you can advertise on Snapchat. I don't know. I don't think you can, but uh, but TikTok, right? That's where they are. They are not hanging out on Facebook with me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. And Twitter. Kids use Twitter a lot these days. I've never wrapped my brain around Twitter. Steve, are you on Twitter? Sports is big on Twitter. Yeah. I I use all the, well, I don't use Instagram so much, but all the other ones. Yeah, Twitter has been lost on me. It might help me, but I, I, yeah, I just haven't been able to do that. Molly, what were you going to share? I think that this conversation really points to the necessity of understanding where our audience, whether that that means they're, you know, prospective buyers or people we have already communicated with to some extent or whether they're customers, where are they at? And what are the channels through which they want to engage with us? And I think the answer is certainly different, you know, in terms of generational dynamics. It's it's certainly different in terms of B2B versus B2C, and it's even different in different industries. I mean, there are, you know, some kinds of industries where um, people are really active in LinkedIn groups, for example. And so then kind of joining the conversation, not even necessarily advertising, but just meaningfully joining the conversation from a thought leadership perspective can be a really effective way to reach people. Um, You know, we do a lot of thought leadership content development and understanding even beyond the social platforms are there online communities where people go for expertise and and conversation with their colleagues where we can join those con or you know our clients can join those conversations so i think it's really about taking a step back and understanding based on who we're trying to engage where are they at um, online and how best can we engage with them with where they are at. May, may I ask a question about, so when, when I was coming up in industry prior to the internet, um, everything was about your collateral, right? Everybody invested significant amounts of money in physical collateral. Uh, then for a long time, you know, people have had both digital and uh, hard collateral. In general, you guys would see this because you're you're uh, servicing your your audience, your customers. What's happening to collateral? Is it going way down? Uh, you you suggested a resurgence, Molly, of uh, of uh, mail. You know stuff we receive in the mail. What's going on with with collateral? Why? So, so from our perspective, um, you know, the vast majority of what our clients publish is digital with one one strong exception two I guess two strong exceptions one materials whether that's sales collateral marketing collateral or actually you know like an ebook I guess it wouldn't be an ebook a book a white paper that's <laughs> actually in physical form that our clients you know have wanted to have physical materials when they do events Trade shows, yeah. um, trade shows, and then or conferences, that kind of thing, and then also I think you know my experience is that B two B salespeople still like to have some a leave behind, you know, have something in their hands that when they go to meet with a prospect, they can leave them with a, a something physical. Now that people aren't, you know, since COVID, now that people aren't having those kinds of meetings. The vast majority, I mean, I mean, really everything that our clients are doing from both 
true thought leadership and a marketing collateral perspective is digital, which actually opens up some really cool, exciting opportunities to leverage new technology platforms for publication. Because it's not just, well, it's fine to have this really cool, animated, interactive ebook, but we need it to be a PDF. You know, people aren't saying that as much anymore because because they're not going to meetings if they need something printed. Mm-hmm. And and it could be that, that that even once we are back doing things in person again, that that's a trend that kind of remains. Yeah, I think it's interesting that collat- I mean, if you think about it, this is our collateral, right? It's like, if it's not mobile friendly, it doesn't exist. And so video is a great platform for the kind of new collateral Audio is blowing up in terms of like podcasts. We're, we're an example of that right now. We're living it. Mm-hmm. Content is, is, is seeing a huge, huge expansion. And I think what used to be the lead behind now, I see it as swag. Like swag is the new collateral, really. When people want something physical, it's like, give me a hat with your logo or a cool you know, shirt or something, right? So I feel like the lead behind is now moving towards swag and the content itself is like, produce a really awesome storytelling video or a really great podcast or, um, you know, something in that that can exist in the digital realm that can last um, for a while and can be referenced easily. Elliot, anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, really, this is, it's just the same thing Molly said. I mean, we're almost 100% digital at this point, everything that we touch, um, and with the exception of sales teams, things of that nature um, that actually need material. Yeah. And it really is about the relationship. That's what I keep hearing and everything. It is the relationship and anticipating and navigating. And what you've taught me is asking what the end user needs and wants and then delivering on that. This has been a fascinating conversation. I'm certainly walking away with more questions, but also a lot of knowledge. Stephen, anything uh, else you want to ask or say before we kind of bring it to a close today? Well, I'm, I want to thank our three experts uh, for enlightening us today and uh, sharing their experiences and their expertise. Uh, I've learned a lot today as well. And thank you all for um, being with us today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been so much fun. Before we close up and and, uh, I share a little bit uh, before we go off air, could each of you again share your name, the company and where we can find you and of course your company in this digital world? How do we stay in touch with you? Elliot, start. Uh, sure. I'll go ahead and start. Um, so Elliot Manson, KEO Marketing, we're headquartered in Tempe. Uh, you can find me probably easiest as LinkedIn. I've actually deleted all of my social media. Um, so it's odd to be in marketing and not have any social media. But uh, LinkedIn, just Elliot Manson, um, probably the only one. Very good. And where in uh, Tempe are you? Elliot and what's the other street? Elliot and the 101-ish Basically, yeah. yeah. So kind of South Tempe, Southeast Tempe. Very good. We're yeah. at the studios at Max 6 on the Broadway Curve. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, very good. Molly, how about you? Yeah, so online website is castellazocontent.com, and that's C-A-S-T-E-L-A-Z-O, content. Um, like Elliot, I actually um, do very little on social channels from a personal perspective. Um, of course, you know, from a professional perfective, LinkedIn, Molly Castellazzo, um is the place to find me. 
Wonderful. Thanks again for being and here. And I will answer email. Okay. So feel free to email me. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Rebecca, how about you? Yeah. Uh, thank you for having me, Karen. It's Rebecca Clyde, C-L-Y-D-E, and I can be found on LinkedIn where I'm very active and Instagram. My handle is at CEO Rebecca Clyde. So I'd also be happy to take some questions or follow-ups after this. Wonderful. And you can reach the Tech Council at aztechcouncil.org. And my handle is at S. Zylstra. Awesome. My son and I, my 13-year-old and I, we are tasked with watching Social Dilemma this weekend. So I'm, I, I don't know that I'm going to be saying the same thing that a couple of you said, that I'm out when it comes to social media, but, but I have a feeling I'm going to have a few takeaways as well. Again, thank you all for being here. You've been listening to AZ TechCast, brought to you by Phoenix Business Radio with Business Radio X. Today's AZ TechCast was brought to you also by Arizona Commerce Authority, the state's leading economic development organization with a streamlined mission to grow and strengthen Arizona. Arizona's economy. Thank you again so much, Arizona Commerce Authority. And also thank you to JDH Insights, the 2020 Tech Advocate Sponsor. Visit JDH Insights to enhance leadership and improve team dynamics to take your business to the next level. If you're interested in being a podcast participant or sponsor for the Council's AZ TechCast, please contact marketing at aztechcouncil.org to lock in your opportunity to further position you as a tech expert, influencer, and innovator like our guests today. Some media leans left, some lean right, and we lean business. Until next time, I'm Karen Nowicki. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.